Well, what makes a person stand out in a fallen world? And we'd say character. And I always think of Psalm 78, 72 when it's describing David. And it says that he shepherded him, you know, with, with his, you know, he was a man of character, a man of skill. He shepherded him according to the, the integrity of his heart and, and, his, and led them with his skill. So he was a man of character and skill. In other words, he, he knew what to do, that skill, but he also was a man of character. And that's, that's what we see. And it's really, really, really powerful truth. And let me just tell you a truth, and we've talked about this before. If you have character but not skill, you can be taught skills. So if you were going to hire somebody and you said, this person really, he is an incredible person, great character, he has to know that this, well, then you can train that person. If you have a person of great skill but no character, you're in trouble because that person can cause a lot of trouble. Even if they're the most gifted thing and they can do everything, if they don't have character, they'll, they'll destroy things. And they'll destroy people. And so the bottom line is, what you want to be is a person of character. You want to be like King David, a man, man of character and skill. But the, the bedrock thing is character is, is the key to the Christian life. And it's, it's, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes there's temptations and pulls. And what we, what, we, what we are affects what we do. And so this morning, we're going to continue looking at this man named Elijah. We've already started by talking about how Elijah was a man that just that stood out. And we're going to actually look at four things of his character this morning, and we'll just go really quickly through a passage to show that, but we're going to see his character. Remember uh, that his life was filled with all kind of things. Let me remind you, he's the one that predicts that the, the rain is going to stop. In fact, he stops it. He says, there'll be no rain except through my word, and then we see these events with the widow, and then the, the battle at Mount Carmel, which is one of the most famous passages in the Bible where he battles the 450 prophets of Baal and they get on the top of Mount Carmel and, and say, who's the real God? If the real God is Baal, let him call down fire. If the real God is God, let him call down fire. And then we see a thing that just kind of baffles us where Elijah runs away from Jezebel and actually he gets so depressed he wants to kill himself. He wished he'd die. And we would say something like, wait a minute, well, you're a prophet of God and you've already had this great thing and you've already had great victory and you're standing for God and yet... You run away and you want to die. And what that tells us is sometimes things happen in our lives that just shake us. And we, that's even then you've got to trust God. And we're going to see what, what does God do when Elijah runs away from Jezebel and, and all that. And then, of course, one of the most famous things is he's taken to heaven in a flaming chariot. And everybody talks about those. Those are sort of the famous events. There are some other events that we're going to see that aren't as famous, aren't near as famous, and we'll see them in his life. So let's start with this, and let's break down our passage, and let's start with Elijah confronts Ahab. That's 1 Kings 17. Look, look at verse 1. Look what it says. Now, Elijah the Tishbite... Uh, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand. And we're going to come back and go a lot more detail on this in a minute. He says, Surely there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, I don't think in, in this, he doesn't tell us. The book of James tells us it was three and a half years. And so he actually stands before a wicked king. Now, when we think about Ahab, there are two things that stand out about him. That, that just tell you what kind of wicked person he is. First of all, he, his marriage to Jezebel and his worship of idols. Now, you've got to remember, Ahab is the king of Israel. There's two kingdoms, Judah, which is in the south, and Israel, which is in the north, and the capital of Israel is Samaria. And here is this king, and he is such a wicked man. In fact, the Bible actually says up to this point, he is more wicked than, <coughs> than any other king. More wicked than any other king. <coughs> and so... 
uh, he's evil, and he marries Jezebel, and Jezebel, I think was a Sidonian, and she worshiped false gods, and so what she does is she brings false worship in, and he, of course, falls right along with it. He's already uh, turned away from God, and so when we see this time, it is a, a really terrible, terrible time, and so Elijah confronts a fallen world and a fallen king, and when we think about our world today, there are a lot of people <coughs> that we deal with. Let me understand this. There's a lot of people we deal with, and we see our world, and there's a lot of things happening in our world that we go, man, I don't like all that. Well, here's the truth. Are we going to stand strong? Are we going to stand strong as godly men and women in a fallen world? And that's what we're seeing. And so Elijah, that's what he did. So let me, let me read it again to you. It says, now, Elijah the Tishbite. And he said, what? Tishbite? What are we talking about? He was from a place called Tishbe. And so here's Samaria. That's the capital of the northern empire. Here's Jerusalem. That's the, here's Judah. That's the southern empire. Here's the northern empire. This is called Israel here. This is called Judah. Uh, this, this map just puts Israel in the middle, but this is really the northern part. This is the southern part. Tishbe was a little town on the you know, eastern side of the Jordan River. And so he leaves there and goes over to here. Now, he's, got, he's going to actually leave there and end up going all the way up to Zarephath, and that's where he meets that widow and all of those kind of things. And he, he has a brook, which is where he, he leaves and goes and hides in a brook, and they can't find him. They can't find him. They look all over for him, and then he leaves and goes all the way up here. And so he actually leaves Israel. He leaves Judah and Israel and goes lives up there. And so we're going to see this guy. So that's where he's from. And that's why when it says Elijah the Tishbite, he was from Tishbe. And he says, who were the settlers of Gilead. He said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel is, before whom I stand, surely there'll be no dew or rain these years except by my word. And so we're going to see him. And he was a man of character. And so I've got four things that as we look at him that I think we see that there's four things. First of all, he was a man of courage. Because he stood before a king who easily could have killed him. Humanly speaking, he could have killed him. From God's end, nothing's going to touch him. But from the human speaking, going before this wicked king, that the king could have had him killed. Then he's a man of prayer because we're going to see that he prayed that it would not rain. And then I don't know if you remember the story, but for it to rain again, he gets off with somebody else and he starts praying and, and nothing's happening. And he's praying for rain, and he's, nothing's happening, and nothing's happening. So he keeps sending this guy out and says, look out at the sky. And the guy goes out, and he goes, nothing. And so finally, after about five or six times, the guy goes out and says, I see it's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. It's a little bitty cloud. He said, well, we'll just keep praying. And, and then he sent word to Ahab. He said, Ahab, you better get home because it's fixing to be a downpour. And it was. And so there's some great things there. But anyway, he took prayer. And he was a man of faith because he took God at his word. When God said, tell him there's not going to be any rain, there wasn't any rain. And so he trusted God. And then he did what God told him to do. So it is very powerful. So let's look first at the courage, that he was a man of courage, and he stood strong. Elijah was a man of courage. So you would, and you can just leave your place there and flip all the way over to James chapter 5. And we're going to be in James chapter 5 for just a little bit because James gives us some information. If you remember, there's Hebrews and James and then First Peter. So you get back toward the back part of your Bible and get James chapter 5. And James is writing, of course, about a lot of different things, about basically living out your faith and being a godly person and doing the right things. And toward the end, he even then mentions Elijah. And he tells us about Elijah. And let me just say this. What's kind of amazing about this, when we study uh, the life of Elijah, there's no background. 
All of a sudden in chapter 17, now you've been, if you've been reading 1 Kings, you got 1 Kings 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, you just got all these chapters and they talk about all these people. And then about chapter 16, you really get to this guy named Ahab. And then suddenly in chapter 17, it says, now Elijah the Tishbite came. There's no background. It doesn't tell us about a mother or father. It doesn't tell us hardly anything. It does tell us where he lives because his hometown was Tishbe or that's where he was living. And that's all. So out of nowhere, Elijah appears. But here's what James tells us in verse 17. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly it would not rain. It didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So we get a little information. First of all, he's a man of courage. And the first thing I want you to think about, he was an ordinary person. Sometimes, in fact, he says he was a man with a nature like ours. When we read the Bible and we see people like Elijah and Elisha and Peter and James and Paul, we think there's so much... Let me just say, they're so much different than us. I mean, they're so much more godly, and they're, I mean, they're just the kind of people that, you know, they always did what was right. Well, the answer is no, they didn't. And they're like us. And we say things like, well, I could never be like Elijah, or I could never be like a Paul, or I could never be like a Peter, or I could never be like a Timothy. Right? Yes, you could. And I'm not meaning that you're going to be an apostle or anything like that. I'm saying you can, you can stand strong in a fallen world. You can make an impact for Christ right now, right where you live, in your neighborhood, in your job, in your family, in your church, everything. We can make a difference for Christ. It says Elijah was a man with a nature like us. He's an ordinary man. He had fears and doubts. In fact, we, when we get a little further over and he's running from Jezebel, you can see his fears and doubts right there. And sometimes, I've taught a long time ago, I taught dealing with depression from the life of Elijah. Uh, there, I've got a whole study that takes that part of Elijah's life when he's running from Jezebel and wants to die and how God dealt with him. And we'll talk about it even in this study. How do you deal with depression? Because it's in there. And so he's a man just like us. But you know what he did? He stood. He stood for God. And when he came to Ahab, he did not come as Ahab's friend. He came as Ahab's adversary. The sins, he's basically saying the sins of the nation are going to have consequences, and Elijah announced the consequences that there'd be no rain. And I'm going to tell you, in our fallen world, we've got to stand for what's right, and we've got to say what's right. Even if, the, even if everybody else says, that's not a big deal, or it doesn't really matter, or who really cares, whatever is right and whatever is wrong, we have to stand for that. We have to say that. We have to say, well, I know that a lot of people don't think that's wrong, but according to the Scripture, it, it's wrong. And so we hold to the fact and say that that's wrong. And we've got to be able to do that. And, and it's not that we want to be known for what we're against. We want to be known what we're for, and we're for Jesus Christ, and we're for the love and, and salvation and all those kind of things. But, you know, uh, Jesus is the only way. And so we've got to be people of courage. Let me, let me just show you something. It takes courage to stand for the clear gospel message. It does. Because most people don't stand for the clear gospel message. We say that Jesus died and rose again, and when you believe in him, you believe in him to give you what? Eternal life. And it's faith alone and Christ alone. A lot of people don't hold to that. A lot of people will say grace, but they'll add things to it. They'll say you need to turn away from your sins. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to walk down an aisle. You need to make him Lord of your life. You need to do this, this, this. And when we stand for it and say, no, 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 it's just faith alone and Christ alone, they make fun of us. We've had people say, well, you guys make it too easy. I go, easy? It's called grace. It doesn't cost a thing. And so it's not, it takes courage to stand for the grace message of salvation because there are a lot of people. 
Listen, there are a lot of important, famous people in this country that are pastors that don't hold to this message. And some people say, so you think you know more than this? I say, I'm not talking about who I know, but I just know what the Bible says about salvation. And sometimes it takes courage for all of us to say, salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone, and it's for eternal life. The second, it takes courage to hold to the Bible, because we live in a culture now that doesn't hold to the Bible at all. We say we believe the Bible, and we believe it's called verbal plenary inspiration, which means every word and every part of the Bible is inspired, and it's God's perfect word. There's a whole bunch of people that say, you don't need this. This is wrong. Well, we don't even know if that Genesis part is real, and there wasn't really a fish that swallowed somebody. I mean, and and we say, yeah, yeah, there were. And they say, well, no, there wasn't. And we say, yeah, there were. It takes courage to say we believe the Bible is God's word because they look at us and say, obviously, you're uneducated or you're stupid. And we say, no, I'm not uneducated. And I'm not stupid. I believe the Bible. It takes courage to hold to the truths of the Word of God. It takes courage to stand strong in a fallen world because it is easy to go with the flow. It's much easier to go with the flow. And we don't want to go with the flow. We've got to stand for what's right. Even that old of saying, if even if the whole world is going one way and it's wrong, you've got to go the other way. And so it takes courage. And so I look at Elijah, and God apparently said, you go to him and you tell him there will be no rain until your word says there will be rain. And he did that. And, uh, you know, what did Jesus say? He said, if they hate me, they'll what? They'll hate you. Do you think they're going to be for you? Listen, if they kill the most perfect person who ever existed, what do you think they're going to do for us? We live in a fallen world. (coughs) And it takes courage. So the first thing, he was a man of courage. The second thing, he's a man of prayer. Notice what James says in James 5, 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed, what? Earnestly, fervently, some people say, and that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. He prayed earnestly, and that idea is with emotion, and, and you know they all say in the, the effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. I mean, when people pray and when they're righteous people and they're praying effectively, he was a man of prayer. Let me tell you something. God answers prayers. He answers them all the time, and we are to be lifting up our prayers. He says, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Make your prayers known. Now, sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is wait, but he answers prayer. He answers prayer when you ask them. And sometimes we say things like, well, God never answers my prayer. Yes, he does. The answer may be no, or the answer may be wait. You just may not get the yes that you want, but he's answering prayers. And so he was the effective prayer. Listen, there are, there are people in this church. I mean, I've had so many people come to me and say, hey, we were praying for you when you had the virus. It helped. It worked. Prayer helps. Uh, I talked to uh, Kathy. My mind's completely blank. What's Kathy's name? Huh? McBarr, I just talked to her. You know, she had a brain tumor thing, right? Guess what? It's gone. It's gone. She called me, and she's still got the cancer, they're doing the other stuff. But she called me, and she said, the prayers are working, because I went back to the doctor, and the tumor is gone. <laughs> I love it. So, listen, let's pray. Let's lift it up. Let's tell people, listen, Lord, this is what we want. You told us to be anxious or nothing. You told us to let the curse be made known. I guarantee you, Elijah said, Lord... This, this is what you said, it's not going to rain. So he probably said, Lord, please don't let it rain. You know, because that's what you told me to tell him, that it's not going to rain, so don't let it rain. You know what prayer does for us? It does two things. It helps us maintain our fellowship, our relationship and fellowship with God. Really, the word, 
probably ought to be relation, uh, fellowship there, not relationship. Helps us maintain our fellowship with God because we have an eternal relationship. But, you know, it helps us tune in to who he is. And it also lines us up with the will of God because he says that you may know what the perfect will of God is. And when, we, when we're praying, when we're talking, we're supposed to be saying, Lord, this is, this is my prayer request, but whatever you want, I, I pray according to your will. It's powerful. The third thing that I see about Elijah is that he was a man of faith. He trusted God. He trusted God. He believed that God would do what he said. Notice it says, he prayed earnestly, would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Three and a half years. He believed God's promises. And he said, God says there'll be no rain until, and basically he said, until my word. He says, God's going to tell me when, it, when to pray for the rain. Right now, there's no rain. He believed God. Do we take the Bible and the promises as true? I mean, sometimes we, we say, oh, oh, God's so great. He'll always do this. And then when time comes, we're, we, it's almost like we don't trust him. And he did. He believed God. And, and do you believe? I mean, I talk to people and I say, you put your faith in Christ? Yes. What does he give you? He gives you eternal life. Yes. So you're saved and saved forever. I hope I am. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the promise? What was the promise? The promise is if you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you eternal life. So should a person who's put their faith in Christ and he's promised eternal life, should they know that they have eternal life? The answer is yes, because we should believe the promises. And we should believe all the promises. And so he was a man of faith. He believed the promises. We're going to see, I mean, all the things that he did. He was just just an amazing thing. And then the, the last thing was he's a man of obedience. And when you look at it, you know, whenever you start thinking about obedience, I always think of a person that most people don't ever think of. And I think of Joseph, Mary and Joseph. He never speaks a word in the Bible. And every time God comes to Joseph, he comes to Joseph in a dream. And every time God comes to Joseph in a dream, he tells him to do something. And every time he does exactly what God tells him to do. And so everybody talks about Mary, and she is the greatest. You know, she's the greatest. But when you look at it, Joseph was incredible because he did everything God told him to do. You look at Elijah. Elijah was that kind of man. Elijah was a man of obedience. He did everything God told him to do. Look at this. He First of all, he went to Ahab. God told him to go to Ahab and tell him that there'd be no rain until his word. He did exactly what it, and he, this could have, been, could have been the end of his life. Could have been because the kings had all power in those days. They could do whatever they wanted to do. So he went to, and then he went to the brook. We're going to see it. God told him to go to this brook because there's not going to be any rain. How are you going to have any water? God said, there's a brook. I want you to just go there. And he goes there and he he says, okay, I'm here. Well, now what? A bird came every day and brought him food. A bird. And and he had water in the brook. Everything is drying up. There's water in the brook. And then guess what? The water dries up. And so you could hear him say, now what? So he says, now I want you to go up all the way to Zarephath to this widow. And I love this passage because he said, because God basically says the widow's going to take care of you. And so he gets there and he sees the widow and she's picking up sticks to make a fire for her final meal because she has just enough food for her and her son. And Elijah goes, oh, by the way, I need some water. She goes, I, I, I mean, I might have like a little water. And he says, and by the way, I want you to fix me a meal. And she said, I don't have any food left except I have one more meal. We're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. And he says, no, you're going to have to trust me. Make me a meal first, 
And then you can make you a meal. And she trusts God, and he trusts God. He went right to the widow, and this pretty amazing story. And then the last thing is he goes back to Ahab. And he goes to Ahab and challenges Ahab. And that's where you have the 450 prophets of Baal in the Mount Carmel. And it's it got to be one of my favorite stories from the Bible. And I may, I, let me just throw this out because we got just a minute. People, you know there's a, there's a drought, so it's not rained. So there's no water anywhere. So they go to the top of Mount Carmel, and, they, and the, the 450 prophets of Baal make an make a altar, and they cut themselves and dance all around it. Nothing happens and, and for hours. And then he builds an altar, and then he says, we're going to call down fire, but I want it to be wet. So he says, so I want you to get a bunch of water and pour all over it. And people say, well, it couldn't have been right because there wasn't any water. Yeah, there was. Mount Carmel's right on this Mediterranean Sea. They went right down the hill, got the water out of the sea, and brought it up there. Covered it up, and fire comes down. Oh, it's just a great story. And I, loved, I, loved, I love it when Ahab goes back to Jezebel and says, I, uh, she says, what, how, what happened to that Elijah guy? Say, well, it didn't turn out like we thought. <laughs> and she says, where are my prophets? And he says, they're all dead. Pulled them all. Wow, I love it. This is, the stories that we're going to see as we go through it are incredible. Henry Morris, who it was, I think he's passed away, but he is a great Bible teacher, and he really did a lot of great things with the flood and those kind of things. He says, obedience. The key for Christians is to follow, honor, and serve Christ in his word. And that's what we want to be. So Elijah was a man of courage, a man of prayer, a man of faith, and a man of obedience. And we're going to see it. So let's go back quickly to um, 1 Kings 17. And let's see what happens. We looked at the verse a while ago. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, behold whom I stand, surely there will be no dew nor rain three these years except by my word. Now, the name Elijah means Yahweh is my God. Eli, Eli, my God. Remember, on the cross, Jesus says, Eli, Eli, which means my God, my God. His name is my God, and Jah, J-H, is a shortened form of Jehovah, or Y-H-W-H. So his name actually means Yahweh is my God. Is my God. That's what his name means. If you have a son and you name him Elijah or, or Eli, you're naming your child my God, which is a great name, you know? So he's Elijah, my God is, or Yahweh is my God. And so he comes to him, and he says to him, as the Lord God of Israel lives. And I love this, because he says this, as the Lord lives. And watch the verse. And though, it says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, and then the next part, before whom I stand. I stand for the God of Israel. Who do we stand for? We stand for Jesus Christ. We stand for the one who loves us, who's died for us. And if we're going to live at all, we live for Jesus Christ. We stand for Jesus Christ. We stand for the one who died and rose again. We stand for the Savior of the world. We stand for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We stand for the one who's going to rule in righteousness and justice. That's who we stand for. That's who we represent. We're on earth, not for ourselves, but for Jesus Christ. Notice Elijah doesn't say, as the Lord God of Israel uh, lives, he says, before whom I stand. I stand for the God of Israel who lives. Let me go back. As the, God, the Lord God lives, the God of Israel. And let me tell you, who was Ahab supposed to worship? Who was Ahab supposed to worship? 
the God of Israel. He's not worshiping the God of Israel. He's worshiping the God of the Sidonians. He's worshiping Baal. Because his bride, his wife, Jezebel, worshipped Baal. And they had Baal and Asheroth. Asheroth is a female deity. And they had all this stuff. And he says, as the Lord lives, the God of Israel. And notice he said the God of Israel. He didn't say the God of Judah. He didn't just say the God. He said the God of Israel. Because that's where Ahab is. He said, before whom I stand, there will be no dew nor rain for three years. You and I get to stand and serve the one who bought us. What, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in our bodies. That's us. Application, let's be men and women of character. First of all, let's be, let's be with courage. It's not easy. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy to stand for Jesus Christ. It's not easy to stand for the grace message of salvation. It's not easy to stand for the truths of the Bible. It's not easy to stand for what's right in a fallen culture. We, we, it is tougher now than it's ever been. And it's not going to get better. I think it's going to get much worse before it. I, I, mean, I don't think it'll ever get better, truthfully, because uh, we live in a fallen world. And the Bible already tells us in the last days, this is the kind of thing that's going to happen. We already know it's the last days. Anytime after Jesus is the last days, this is really the last of the last days. And so we've got to be men and women of courage. The second, we've got to be men and women of prayer. Prayer helps. Prayer works. Prayer is our talking to God. We lift up our prayer requests to God. Not only do we tell him what we want, but we praise him. You know, there's a lot of words for prayer, and some mean worship, and some mean praise, and some mean thanksgiving. And so we're to be men and women of prayer. And the third thing is we're to be men and women of faith, which means we take God at his word. And whatever he tells us, we say, that's exactly right. I have to trust the Bible. The Bible is what's accurate and true. And then last but not least, obedience to do what God has for us to do. And, of course, you say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Yes, you do. You know what he wants you to do. He wants you to stand for Christ. He wants you to make disciples. He wants you to tell other people about Christ. He wants you to study the word of God so you can know it and apply it and pass it on. He wants you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. He wants you to take the gifts, talents, and abilities that you have and serve. Because one of the hardest things we're having now is we can't find people to, to do ministry. Everybody's so afraid. I don't mean it bad, but people are so afraid, and that's okay to be afraid. But we... We need to use the gifts, talents, and abilities that we have to serve and to touch lives and to make disciples and to do all the things God has for us to do. So we want to be men and women of courage and faith and prayer and obedience.